Hello, welcome back to the Barefoot Books Podcast. This week, we'll hear a French tale of a knight who loves to celebrate Christmas in so grand a fashion that he soon finds himself with nothing to give. As he counts his remaining blessings, he discovers a wondrous tree that may improve his situation. After the story, go to barefootbooks.com to find the complete Barefoot Knights collection, along with songs, activities, coloring sheets, and more. The first snows were already thick on the ground and decorating the tops of the castle walls. Christmas was only a few weeks away, and already there was an air of excitement in the great building. Sir Brian had invited a great many guests for the festival. There was to be hunting, and even a tournament in which visiting knights would join in friendly mock battle with each other to prove who was the strongest. Among them would be Tom's father and his brother Robert, who had been knighted only a few months before. Tom was almost beside himself with excitement, and as for the rest of the squires and pages, they had a hard time concentrating on any of their instruction. Several times, Master William had to break up squabbles between them, mostly provoked by sheer excitement. Finally, he could stand it no longer. Listen to me, he said one morning. If you can get all your chores and lessons done today without fighting with each other, I'll tell you a story about the knight who loved Christmas so much he couldn't wait for the year to pass, and that got him into a lot of trouble. The boys looked at each other, and after that there was peace around the castle for the rest of the day as they applied themselves industriously to their tasks. As dusk fell, they gathered in the warm and smoky armoury, and Master William, a tankard of frothy ale at his side, began his tale. Sir Cliege and the Cherry Tree A Story from France There was once a knight named Sir Cliege, who loved to celebrate Christmas more than anything else. Every December he held a great feast to which he invited everyone in the neighbourhood who wished to come. There was food enough for all, with plenty of wine and sweetmeats. No one went away without a generous gift of some kind, a horse perhaps, a warm cloak, or even a gold ring. Whatever he could afford, and sometimes more, Sir Cliege gave. But as the years went by, he spent so much money that he had almost none left. Even so, Sir Cliege would not hear of abandoning his usual custom. He decided to pledge several of his manor houses in order to raise enough money to give yet one more splendid feast, fully believing that he would soon redeem them. That year, Sir Cliege's Christmas feast was as generous as ever. But when it was over, and the new year had dawned, he found that all his money was gone, and that he had few possessions left. He was forced to move with his family into one small house, and send many of their old servants away. So the year passed, and soon it was almost time for Christmas again. Sir Cliege heard that King Uther Pendragon was going to hold a splendid feast of his own in a nearby city. Every high-born man and woman in the realm was invited, all except for Sir Cliege, whom the king believed to be dead, so long was it since he had last heard from him. Sir Cliege was terribly sad. Not only could he no longer afford to celebrate the holy day as he had always done, but he could not even go to the king's feast. Instead, he was forced to stand at the window and listen to the distant sounds of merrymaking carried on the wind from behind the walls of the city. 
with tears in his eyes, Saclige prayed aloud to God to forgive him for not celebrating the birthday of his son in a fitting manner. Then Saclige's wife begged him not to be so sad. Today is no day to grieve, husband. We have meat on the table and good wine to drink. Our children are well and healthy, and so are we. Come now, let us enjoy ourselves. And Saclige smiled and hid his sorrow. He spent the day happily enough with his wife and their two children, making sport and playing games with them until night fell. Next day, Saclige and his family went to church, and the knight prayed that whatever happened to him, his family should be spared all hardship. And his lady prayed that her husband should find peace and contentment and put away his sorrows. When Mass was ended, they went home, and Saclige wandered into the little garden where he loved to sit on sunny summer days. Now, in the middle of winter, it was white with snow, and icicles hung from the trees. Saclige knelt down beneath a cherry tree that used to give sweet-smelling shade from the sun, and thanked God for his family and for the poverty which had come to them. For, he said, I truly believe it was pride which led me to hold such splendid feasts, and thus to spend all the fortune I possessed. As he knelt there in the snow, one of the branches of the cherry tree broke off and struck him on the shoulder. Saclige looked at it in wonder, and saw that it had green leaves and fruit upon it, as fresh as in the season of summer. What kind of tree bears fruit in the middle of winter, he cried. And he took some of the cherries and ate them, and they were as sweet as any he had ever tasted. Excitedly, Saclige hurried inside to show the cherries to his wife. See what a marvel I have found in our garden, he exclaimed. The lady was as astonished as he had been. Husband, she said, let us gather some more of this miraculous fruit and take it to the king in the city. Surely he will reward you for such a wonderful gift. So Saclige went out and gathered as much of the fruit as he could, and next day he set out for the city. He had to walk since he had been forced to sell his horse and armour. He took a sturdy staff for support and carried with him a basket filled with cherries. Saclige soon reached the gates of the city which was full of people who had come to catch a glimpse of the king and his courtiers on this great occasion. At the entrance to the hall where the feasting was to take place was a porter whose job it was to keep out troublesome people. He took one look at the knight in his rough clothes and homespun cloak and told him to join a line of beggars who were waiting to receive the gifts that the king traditionally gave out at this time of year. But Sir Cleige held his ground and spoke up firmly. See, he said, I have brought a gift for the king, such as only God could provide. The porter peered suspiciously into the basket. When he saw the cherries, his eyes gleamed greedily. I'll let you in, he replied, providing you promise to give me a third of whatever the king gives you. Sir Cleese agreed and was allowed to enter the hall. There he met the royal usher, who raised his staff of office and threatened to have him thrown out. But again, Sir Cleige held his ground, and opening the basket, allowed the usher to look inside. When the usher saw the sparkle of the fruit, and smelled its rich smell, he agreed to admit the poor knight, but only on condition that he promised to give a third of whatever the king gave him in return. Again, Sir Cleige agreed, and was allowed to pass. Now he met a third man, the king's high steward, 
and everything happened just as before. The man was about to throw Sir Cleej out, but when he saw what was in the basket, he agreed to let the night pass, so long as he promised to give the steward a third of whatever bounty the king gave. Sir Cleej sighed, for he saw that whatever good might come of his gift, he had lost it all between the three greedy men. But he nodded all the same and was allowed to go forward. Sir Cleej knelt before the king and uncovered the basket. Sire, he said, I bring you a gift this Christmas, which is surely from heaven itself. The king took the basket and looked into it in wonder. This is indeed a marvellous gift, he said. Then he told Sir Cleej, whom he did not recognise, to sit at one of the long tables that stretched down both sides of the hall and to join in the feasting. And so Sir Cleej, who was too proud to remind the king that he had once been one of his own knights, went to sit down at the table, and the feast began. And very fine it was, with stuffed swans and pheasant and roasted pigs and quails and much, much more. When it was over, the king beckoned Sir Cleej to come near him. That was truly one of the finest gifts I've ever been given, he said. What kind of reward would you like in return? Sir had been thinking deeply about this throughout the feast. Now he said, Sire, I ask only that you give me three blows and the right to distribute them as I think fit. The king frowned. Well, I've never heard of such a request, he said. This seems to me to be a very poor jest. Ask me for something else. But Sir Cleej stubbornly refused to change his mind, and in the end, with a shake of his head, the king agreed, reluctantly giving Sir Cleej three light blows to the head. Then Sir Cleej went through the hall, seeking the porter, the usher, and the steward. When they saw him, they all eagerly demanded to know what the king had given him so they could be given their share of it. Sir Cleej was glad to oblige, and gave each man a mighty blow, which laid them all flat on the ground. Meanwhile, the king had withdrawn to his private rooms with a small circle of friends and was enjoying himself with much music and mirth. And it happened that a minstrel sang a ballad about Sir Cleej. As he listened, the king began to wonder what had happened to the good knight, who once was a frequent visitor to his court. When the minstrel had finished, the king asked if he knew anything about the man of whose deeds he sang. The minstrel shook his head. Nay, sir, he said. All I know is he's much missed hereabouts by all those who celebrate Christmas. I hear he's left the country. That's a pity, said the king. He was a good and brave man, and I wish that I might see him again. Sir Cleej, who had been standing near and heard this, came and knelt before the king and thanked him for the gift of the three blows. The king looked at him in wonder and asked how he meant to use the gift. Then Sir Cleej told him the whole story and how he had given out the blows to the porter, the usher and the steward. When he heard this, the king laughed out loud. <laughs> By my faith, he said, tell me your name, for I like you well. Sire, said Sir Cleej, I am Sir Cleej, who was formerly your knight. The king was amazed to hear this, and bade the knight sit down with him. When he heard how his old friend had fallen upon hard times because of his generosity to others, 
he ordered his coffers to be opened and gave back all the goods and properties Sir Cleese had lost. For, he said, if I had a hundred knights such as you, I would be a rich man indeed. So it was that Sir Cleese returned home, riding on a splendid horse and dressed in fine clothes again. And you may be sure that his wife and their children were most glad to see him and that they lived a happy life together after that. And every Christmas for the rest of his life, Sir Cleege held as fine a feast as was seen anywhere in all the land. As Master William finished, there was a moment of silence, which was broken almost at once when one of the castle servants burst in. The first of the guests are arriving, he puffed. You all need to take care of their horses and help them find where they're going to sleep. The armoury emptied in a flash leaving Master William alone. Smiling quietly to himself, he lifted his tankard and drained the last of the ale. Then he stood up and with a sigh went outside into the bustling courtyard to see that the boys performed their duties as they should. These stories come to you from Barefoot Audiobooks. Available in the best bookstores, gift stores, music stores, and libraries. To find out more about our current and forthcoming audiobooks, and to explore our complete range of activities, books, and resources, please visit our website at www.barefootbooks.com. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now you can visit barefootbooks.com slash podcast to find special offers, join our email list, and listen to past episodes of the Barefoot Books podcast. See you next week. Bye.